History is littered with examples of smaller, weaker forces coming up against larger, stronger forces, and yet somehow winning. Whether it's Hannibal defeating a Roman army twice its size by positioning his troops in an interesting way, or Napoleon taking out the Russian and Austrian armies by using deception, or maybe it's Google taking out Yahoo by focusing its efforts on search instead of being the homepage of the internet, or even in sports where the Oakland A's decided to not buy talent but focus its metrics to find undervalued talent. In the end, what lets a smaller force defeat a stronger, bigger force is strategy. What's up with the history lesson? Well, as talent acquisition and human resource leaders, you're more likely to be the David than the Goliath in these kinds of situations, right? You come up against these better known, better resource companies, and yet somehow you have to win the talent fight against them. No matter how the world of hiring and recruiting changes, it's strategy that's going to be the key to your success. So if you want to gain an edge against companies that are better resourced, have more recruiters, have better brand awareness, you need to get serious about strategy. Joining me in this podcast is Marcus Body of 33, and he is as obsessed with strategy and talent strategy as I am. And together, we're going to help you discover untapped opportunities and new ways of looking at your hiring challenges. We're going to be going deep into this subject because we know that when you build a strong talent strategy, you can compete for talent and win against anyone. You're listening to The Brand Plan, the podcast about the intersection of talent, brand, and strategy with your hosts, Marcus Body of 33 and James Ellis of Employer Brand Labs. Sitting beside me is Marcus Body of 33. He has been in agencies building employer brands that you have heard of every single day, possibly of your entire life. It's very possible. Uh, he's a young man, but don't let him fool you. He's got that kind of skill. Marcus? Uh, and this is James Ellis. I'm sure many of you know him already, but he is the brains behind the Employer Brand Labs, um, writes fantastic books. Um, there's one just published called Employer Branding for Small Business. I'm sure many of you have a copy. Um, we've both been doing this for far too long, so hopefully this is going to be an interesting podcast for you to listen to. And I want to start this conversation very simply. We talk about, we hear about talent strategy, this magical term, talent strategy, and we sprinkle it on like pixie dust, like it's going to make things magically better. Except in my experience, most people who say talent strategy have no clue what talent strategy is. Am I the only one? Am I the, the weirdo in this case? Okay, don't answer that question exactly that way. But am, <laughs> is, is that a common situation? Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the you know people want to be strategic, but they aren't necessarily one hundred percent sure what they mean by being strategic. And you see, you know, things that are basically a plan have the word plan crossed out, strategy scribbled in at the drafting stage because it kind of sounds better and it sounds like somebody ought to give me more money if yes. I call it a strategy rather than a plan. Yeah, it's but, it's, it's an it's an adjective to be to meaning smarter plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's like using the word utilize instead of use. It sort of makes everything seem more important. But exactly. I mean, I think I think it's a shame though, because actually there is something into trying to work out having a strategy, and you know you can achieve a whole different scale of of kind of impact if you do have a strategy. But a lot of people kind of just use the word without ever really thinking about what that really means, as opposed to just having a to do list. Exactly, or a tech stack, or a series of things that they have to achieve. Yeah, totally. Can, well, let's let's dive in this way. I mean, because I think. 
for me, and I've been a talent strategy, I've been a strategy nerd for a very long time. Uh, and I've had bosses who literally couldn't tell you the difference between a tactic and a strategy. And I'm not naming names. And if you think it's you, it's not. Uh, and for any of my bosses who are listening or former bosses. So let's define strategy. It's one of those words like innovation and culture, which people just seem to use willy nilly as if they know. But yeah. what, when, when you say strategy, what do you mean? So for me, I've heard a couple of people whose definitions I like. I've always liked there. There's a guy called Michael Porter at Harvard Business School who has this definition of strategy is deciding what you're not going to do. I always think that's a pretty good like one liner if someone's trying to work out is what I'm looking at a plan or a strategy. It's like, and, and I've asked clients that question before: is is there anything we're not going to do that we would have done before we started this process? If there isn't, then we're probably not really in the realm of doing a strategy. We just put together a plan and a, plan, a perfectly good plan that will do what we need it to do. Yeah. But we don't really have a strategy until we started making some pretty hard decisions about things we're not going to do that we could have done. So I think yeah. that was really cool. How about you? What's the best definition you've heard? Well, first off, I like that you just slid in Michael Porter like, you know, like your besties, right? Like, like he's not like the all-revered Harvard Business School doctorate of all things business strategy like he had like the two books that are like this thick about business strategy and competitive strategy aren't de rigor in both political science and business okay so let's just drop that i really um and and as a poli sci graduate i remember reading competitive analysis or competitive uh, uh strategy my my thinking about strategy is it's a it's a it's a position it's more positioning than anything else it's this idea of how are you going to use whatever resources are at your disposal to maximize yeah. their impact either now or down the road right and i think of like napoleon and warfare strategy where you have this idea of when a right. big army meets a smaller army for most of human existence, the big army won every single time. And it wasn't until someone smart said, what if I position my troops in a different way to yeah, trick yeah. the outside, other side to charge in the direction I want them and I envelop them and I destroy them with a like a half-sized army, which is impossible at the time. That is strategy to say doing more with less, making a bigger impact with less and, and putting yourself in a position every step of the way where you are more likely to win the next time. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the other place that where you get a lot of good strategy analogies is in sports. And, you know, it depends where you are in the world, which sport you're talking about. But, you know, it is that belief in, OK, we're going to win this game by having a really tall person up front and some short people behind them. Or, you know, we're going to win this game by getting the fastest people we can hire. Or we're going to, you know, and, and it's something to do with a belief in how you're going to win. Yeah. that you can then use to kind of decide what you're going to do next. Um, yeah. And so there's lots of, unfortunately, the, the thing about sport is that it's not a great analogy for business because obviously, you know, it's not 11 people against 11 or six against six like it is yeah. in sport. Very often you can be a tiny business up against giant businesses or vice versa. And, and that can shape the strategy that you should take. It's knowing yeah. how big you are versus who you're up against starts to become pretty important. Yeah. So how do you know, so you're talking to a client, you're talking to anybody and they say, I got this strategy. What's your litmus test? What's your acid test to say, actually, friendo, this is not a strategy. This is just a really well-designed PowerPoint deck and kudos for you on a very attractive deck, but it's not a strategy. Absolutely. So I I find a good test is one I I nicked actually from politics. There's a thing in, I don't know whether this phrase gets used in America, but in the UK, we quite often talk about the manifesto test is, is this politician saying anything that anybody would reasonably ever say the opposite of? Exactly. So, you know, we believe in children is not really, it doesn't pass that test because no one's ever said children are terrible. We we couldn't care less about them. 
Um, whereas if someone says, you know, I'm going to spend more money on this, and the opposing part, party aren't saying we're going to spend more money on that, okay, now we've got something that passes the manifesto test. It's yeah. a real thing. It's kind of the same with, with the strategy test. Is you know, if someone said, if we look at someone's strategy and go, yeah, but are any any of your competitors doing anything different, or yeah. is this going to be on all of their lists of things to do? Then you probably don't really have a strategy. You might have yeah. a perfectly sensible plan, but it's not a strategy. Yeah, if you say we're going to hire the best people ever, that's not a strategy. That's a goal. That's a hope. How are you going to make that happen? And given that you are not a massive company, or you not are not famous, or you you're not have the world beating product, or whatever your particular set of constraints are, how are you achieving that goal? That's the strategy. It's like look, you know, you think of a um, a very young Google at the time, Yahoo decimated everybody. They owned the space. I don't care what you say about Ask I don't care what you say about Hotbot. Everybody remember Hotbot? Uh, and we're old enough to remember Hotbot. Um, <laughs> but Google was just a couple of guys with a good idea. One of them, was, I think it was a PhD thesis idea about how to order strategy and how to leverage social cues to, to rank stuff. They were a handful of people that turned it. So how, how does a handful of people dominate Yahoo? Well, people don't remember this. Yeah. But way back when, the turn of the century, yes, I said turn of the century, meaning internet century, they actually sold their search engine or licensed their search engine to Yahoo. Yahoo was all about, look, we don't care about search. We care about a directory. We care about making a homepage. Pages, that looks, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And make it and, and selling a crap ton of ads and doing all like the homepage of the internet. Right. And they just went search. Yeah. That's something the nerds do. And they yeah, licensed yeah. Google's technology, and that's how Google – so there's a time in which Google had to have said, if we want to beat them, how do we win? Well, for an interim stage, I guess we kind of have to join them, leverage well, their audience, and then we can splinter off. That is a strategy. Same, same thing happened with Microsoft and IBM, though, with the early stages of development of Windows. You know, it was, it was, this is the way you're going to do it if you're two guys in a garage in Seattle. Is, is You have to sort of find yourself a bigger partner to play with. And that then becomes a strategy. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I guess the challenge when it gets to sort of talent strategy is that if you're going to do it, the first thing you need to be able to work out is what is it that we're actually supposed to be achieving? Do you have a very good definition of what your part of the business is supposed to be doing for the business as a whole? And if you don't really have a very good definition of what you're trying to achieve, then you can't really begin on a strategy. Um, That's always got to be your kind of your first point. And very often, the reality is people don't have a great idea beyond, yeah. you know, hire the best people we can, yeah. be a magnet for talents, employer of choice. You know, these kind of all things which are all good in their own right, but they don't give you anything more specific to aim at. And yeah, but what we actually want you to do is this. Yeah. That's yeah. what people into strategy. Yeah, I, yeah the, I mean, the first question I would have is when you say best people, what the heck does best yeah. people mean? Are you talking about Nobel laureates? Are you talking about people who are already the best in their field? Or are you hiring the people who you suspect are likely to be those people five, ten years down the road? Or are you hiring young and you're hiring the people who are valedictorians of cool school number one, two, or three? What do you define as best? Completely. And I think there are, you know, in, in the, there are some very old-fashioned views still out there that, you know, some people are better than others and you can rank humanity from top to bottom. And it, and it just doesn't <laughs> work that way. You, you can have somebody who's brilliant in one context and he's awful in another. I remember a while ago, a client um, I was working with said to me, we've been hiring all these people with PhDs and they're not very good at multitasking. And I said, well, no, they've spent three years answering one question. That's yeah. not the school. You're hiring a PhD. You're hiring someone who has extreme focus, not yeah, someone who... Great at multitasking, then you know, 
the, the solution is simple. Stop hiring the people coming straight out of a PhD. You know, yeah. Hire someone who's done something else after their PhD and they might well be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot, right now I'm reading a lot about creativity, this idea that, look, you're not better and more creative because you've gone a step farther. It's sometimes because you've taken this wild left turn seemingly for no reason, or you're introducing ideas from some out left field kind of area, and suddenly two plus two equals 47. And that's, you know, and you're right, creates, you know, PhDs look through the world through a drinking straw. They see one thing yeah. at a time for years on end, whereas... You know, very often the person who's new to the field will ask the stupid question like, why do we do it that way, which suddenly flips over the entire conversation. I mean, you look at, say, you know, I work at an ad agency. We hire a lot of people for creativity. What we want when we're hiring people into 33 is people who've got ideas and can think differently. But, you know, the people I know who happen to be good at that have come from just the most ridiculously different backgrounds. and The things people have done before they've ended up in employer brand agencies, you know, I can think of at least two really good colleagues I've got who were both mental health nurses. I don't know how you make that transition from working I, in adult mental health to working in, in employer branding, but they're both very good at it in completely different parts of our business. Or, the, or it might be a completely natural transition that we choose to not <laughs> consider, which let's, you know, maybe a whole separate podcast. That's a whole separate yeah, podcast. I mean, yeah. But, it, but it's kind of fascinating, isn't it, though? Because when you're hiring for creativity, suddenly all these sorts of standard metrics kind of go out the window because it's no longer about who's got the most impressive CV or who got the best grades when they were at school. or you know, it, it, All of that sort of stuff becomes a bit irrelevant when you're hiring someone, hiring for someone who can think creatively and on the spot come up with a new idea because they might not have very good things for any of those kind of old-fashioned criteria. And it's why more employers are abandoning kind of the traditional kind of qualifications and criteria and starting to look at is there something else we can test to figure out how good these people are going to be yeah and, and i think the other part of it is you know and, and i'm a big tom peters fan anybody who knows me know i read everything the man has written i worship the altar of tom congratulations on retiring tom you're never going to hear this but thanks you know his idea that in the 80s was you hire the best of the best and you spend so much money to hire these amazing people and then you ask them to check their brains at the door you know that's a very 80s idea but at the same time I don't know we're that far down the path away from it. I know a lot of companies who simply say, we want the best of the best, and then we're going to tell you what to do. To which yeah, yeah. I wonder, what did you think you were hiring? This year, one agency won more RAD awards for recruitment marketing, branding, and communications than any other, with work that has transformed the employer brand of some of the world's biggest companies. That agency might be a name you don't recognize yet. Stay tuned to learn more. Completely. Well, I mean, I've had um, certainly worked with clients before in, in professional services and they'll say to me, oh, we want people with an entrepreneurial mindset. And I'll go, but people with an entrepreneurial mindset are setting up their own businesses. By definition, they're not going to be applying to a graduate scheme. It's not the kind of thing you do if you are super, unless you're promising to pay them an enormous amount of money so that they can leave you after two years and go and set up their own business. That You, know, you, you can set up a promise for entrepreneurial people, but it has to be short term and it has to involve the amount of money they need to go and set up their own business. And, and there are some businesses starting to experiment with that now, saying, do we hire someone and say, you work for us three days a week and two days a week, you do your own thing, and, and maybe you get some capital from us to help you do that. Okay, now you can hire entrepreneurial people because you, you're making an offer that will appeal to them. But you know, it's back to that strategy point. If you haven't worked out what you're trying to achieve with talent, then you don't know which of these things is the right thing to do. Once you've kind of 
you've been through the strategy loop, you can now have a much better idea about, you know, which one of these many, many, many possibilities should we start sort of playing towards. Yeah, and that's the thing. There are a million ways to achieve any particular talent strategy goal. And I've made a a bit of a career saying, look, you'd only need sidewalk chalk to establish your employer brand. You just go to where the conference is, where everybody you want to hire is, and you write something really interesting on the sidewalk in front of that conference. You are guaranteed to establish a brand and get interest. Sure. At yeah. the same time, you can spend $14 million doing you know, all sorts of different things. There's a million ways to do it. So strategy says, look, okay, yes, yes, you have to have a goal. You have to know what you're trying to achieve. I think you teased in this idea of you have to understand what that if – you're, if, you're, if you're talking about a particular audience, what are their motivations? What do they care about? If they're entrepreneurial, you give them this. How do you reward them appropriately? How do you communicate to them so that they understand what you're offering to them? And then how do you measure it all? Yeah. Completely. And, you know, it's it's such a, I think very often what overwhelms people is when they sit down to start doing strategy, that feels like an overwhelming list of things that to understand everything on. And I suppose I always try and reassure them, like, you only actually need to understand these things one at a time. You know, I would always start by trying to understand, right, what is the objective that the business is trying to achieve? And it might be, there are multiple objectives. It might be, we're trying to achieve with this, with this kind of person, and that with that kind of person, and the other with that kind of person. So, you know, we sometimes talk to clients about, you know, sometimes the game that you're playing is being really easy to apply to for someone who just needs a job right now. And yeah. for a lot of employers, that might be their entire plan to be that. Yes. For a really big employer, that might just be for some types of employees you want to be that. Whereas for, you know, a more specialist role of someone who's going to be in your industry and he's going to be in your industry for 40 years, it's like, okay, you can now build a reputation with these people. You're going to have a relationship with them, either as competitor or employer, for 40 years okay, you can start building associations with that. You are interesting enough to them that you can have a brand strategy with those people rather than simply that kind of tactical, just looking good at the moment when they're looking kind of strategy. But, you know, small businesses might do the overwhelming amount of their activity on that kind of quick return, you know, having a great shop window thing. That's probably good enough if you're a small employer. Yeah, if you're it's hiring 20 people versus hiring 20,000 people, those the scale dictates the strategy a lot of times. Exactly, exactly. And if, if you kind of copy someone else's really successful strategy, but there's something crucially different about you, you can have a horrible, horrible time. Because, you know, if, you, if you're like a little tech startup and you try copying IBM, you're going to lose. They've got more money than you. They've got, you know, <laughs> they've got more visibility than you. They've got more brand awareness. The, the, the brilliant, perfect approach for them is going to be wrong for you. And vice versa. You know, you have, you know, I, I've done some really successful employer brand things before with organisations that I've never tried to replicate with anyone else because they're just too unique and weird and different. Did an employer brand project for CERN, the people who run the Large Hadron Collider. But that's a unique organisation. What works with them is not going to work with anyone else because no one else is changing the laws of physics. It's like <laughs> it allows you to do a slightly different thing. Does, does Elon Musk count in the way he thinks about Twitter? Is that changing the laws of Twitter? Let's not get political. Let's, yeah. He's changing the laws of social media. I think we can accept something. That. Yeah. Of something, certainly. So, I'm, so I, I th- I'm interested by this idea that, you know, you don't have to have it all mapped out. So I'm a big fan of like, you know, if you're thinking about warfare, Napoleon didn't have the whole campaign mapped out. He was winning yeah, battle yeah. after battle after battle. And I think about like a, a Netflix. And remember, Netflix did not start as an internet behemoth. It started by envelopes and trying to beat Blockbuster. And it wasn't until they had success 
with the envelope situation and they kind of had this weird option. Hey, let's put 12 movies. And like, it was only 12 movies. It was something teeny, some teeny amount of content. We'll make it easy to stream. And of course, nobody had a box or a way to stream. They had 12 customers. It was teeny. It was nothing. It was just this idea that they said, you know what? The envelopes will fund this idea that could one day be a world paper. We don't know. That is an emerging strategy. They didn't start the business that said one day we will be the world's provider, internet provider of, of, of digital media because at the time, internet was for email, right? They started saying, how do we win this? They started to win and they started to look for what are other opportunities and places where we can win? So I think what they did have is at any point they had a sense of we're going over there. And at any point you could have said, where are you going now? And they go, we're going over there. Then they were ready to change direction as the possibilities changed. Yes. Absolutely. But, you know, they, they they always had a sense of what they were trying to do next. And I think that was what allowed them to to win, is kind of having that very fierce sense of what they what they were currently trying to do at the moment, even if they knew that might change. There's that wonderful phrase that crops up when people talk about their evolving business strategy. And, you know, actually, if it's evolving, it means that it's mutating randomly in lots of directions and the successful bits survive. Now, that's actually kind of true. In an awful lot of it business. is, it is. It is surprised when people want to admit to it out loud. You know, uh, you know, perhaps they ought to be claiming that it's intelligently designed. But you know, it, it's it's an interesting, <laughs> interesting yeah, a different podcast for sure. <laughs> Meet Thirty Three, known for creating and elevating some of the world's most valuable employer brands here in the U.S. and across the pond in Europe. Thirty Three understands that everyone has a story to tell. From KFC to BMW, from AWS to KPMG, 33 has been building some of the most creative and influential employer brands around the world. If you want to see how they can tell your company's story, head to their website in our show notes. Okay, so we talked about this before and you dropped a term that I thought was really interesting and I want to reintroduce to everybody listening. And that's the idea of a solution neutral problem statement. Can you talk a bit about this idea? Because I was trained as a poli-sci person, which, you know, eh, sorry, everybody. And you came from a different background and have a whole lot of different ways of seeing things. So let's start there. That's right. So I've got an engineering degree and, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. The dismissive thing often said by by proper scientists about engineers is, you know, engineers are people for whom pi is three and a bit. And it's kind of true, right? <laughs> engineering is about... That is not the nerdiest getting... joke I have ever heard. Yeah, That's yeah. amazing. That is amazing. But there's some truth to it because it's, it's about, you know, he's the kind of person who could have studied physics or maths, but kind of went, no, 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 but I want to build things. I want to make stuff. And I want to kind of get my hands dirty and, and kind of not get tied up in the details. But you have to kind of be able to do a bit of the maths as well. They taught us this really useful thing on on my degree about solution neutral problem statements. And basically, the idea is, whenever someone asks you to do something, I mean, you know, the classic example I always use is if someone asks you to build a road bridge, what you have to do is try and write down what that person really wanted in a way that doesn't include how you're going to do it. So it might be, you know, there are some cars this side of the river that need to be that side of the river. And yes, a bridge is a solution to that, but so is a tunnel, so is a ferry. So is just driving all the way down to the bridge that's already there and driving all the way back. And you need to evaluate all of these things to work out if a bridge is even a good idea in the first place. Then, you know, it might well be, and then you can build the right kind of bridge, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, the client was right all along, they do need a bridge. But, you know, clients who work with me will be very familiar with this, because whenever they say to me, we need an EVP, I always start with going, 
do you? Why? Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Tell me why you think you want an EVP, because it might completely do it. And we might actually at the end of it go, you don't really need an EVP, do you? You need a little attraction campaign over here. And But unless I've asked you why you wanted that thing, I could easily spend, you know, $50,000 of your money making you a perfectly good EVP, and then we go, oh, it doesn't really do what we needed to do. That's a shame. And it's too late then to kind of reverse engineer it. It's much easier if you can have that open conversation early on. So, yeah, I mean, I find it incredibly valuable. Whenever you're sitting down to do anything at all, you kind of sit down and go, what's the outcome that I want? Absolutely, without any implication of how I might do it at all. And, and am I able to write that down? And if the answer is you can't write it down, then I would suggest you can't begin this project because you don't really know what you're trying to achieve and you don't really know what number you're trying to move. And until you can write that down, you can't really come up with a sensible plan. You're just kind of throwing darts wildly at the wall or, you know, whatever analogy you want to use for kind of... Or you're just running through the maze, putting one foot in front of the other, just because you're you're so terrified of stopping or so terrified of making the wrong move. You're just going and you don't realize the choices you have made and the, 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 the backlog of choices that you've previously made that are going to dictate where you're heading next. Completely. And it's where you can end up with this kind of awkward situation of like later on trying to justify a business case for what you did and trying to work out why that was a good idea. And, you know, I think we've all been there at some point in life, but it's not a very comfortable place to be. And it's, you know, it gives you a knot in your stomach. And, you know, the way to avoid that arising is to start right back at the beginning going, what is it that I'm actually trying to achieve? And, you know, if it is just you know sometimes in talent it is just getting some bums on seats i need this many bums on seats with this minimum level of qualification if i do that i'm good fine brilliant the answer might be an employer brand solution the answer might not the answer might be a kind of really capital company yeah exactly it might even be using an agency if it's a really specific kind of skill set it might be actually i'll just outsource that to someone who can do that for me quickly and that might be the right answer. But unless you know what it is you're trying to achieve, you can't really ever decide whether what you've done is the right thing or not. Yeah, yeah. So that leads to the biggest question of all, which is why is strategy valuable? We talk about it. Everybody talks about it. It's a term you drop in every which way. Uh, everybody in this industry refers to it at some point. But why? Is it, is it back to, it just makes us sound smart, or is there value in having a strategy? And if so, how do you ascertain it? How do you think about it? Or how do you look at that kind of value? I, I think, I think you know, there's, there's two parts to the answer. It, it, it has a kind of brand, a good brand in itself strategy, right? It, it, in that it sounds good. It sounds like it ought to be paid more. It sounds like it ought to be in more important meeting rooms than if you're not, if you're not doing strategy. So I think that, part of the brand is is very good for it and that's why what quite often attracts people to it it's why they buy their first strategy book it's why they read their first strategy blog is because they're going i would like to be paid more money and be more senior okay strategy seems like a good line to go down and, and they're not wrong i think there is some truth behind it though as well which is once you start coming at things that way you you you're kind of elevating what you're really doing from a living from being someone who does what they're told to someone who can actually work out what they should have been told in the first place. And that's an incredibly useful skill that we all get really bad at when we're at school. So when you're at school, you get really good at doing what you're told. And, and you know, it's how you get great grades all the way through the education system is doing what you're told. And, you know, even up to quite high level academia, it's still, you know, have you done your bibliography correctly? Have you correctly annotated? All, you know, it's about... Yeah. What's the joke about academia? Its goal is to make, for, its goal is to make professors... <laughs> 
Not yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it teaches you how to comply with a set of rules and comply with to do what you're told, essentially. And then suddenly you find yourself in the world of work. And, and that's useful in the early bit of your career. But there comes a point when actually someone turns around to you and goes, well, what do you think we should do? Okay, now you're in the realms of strategy. And, and these are the better paid jobs and then the more interesting jobs. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, lots of people have a career tipping point. And it depends what profession you're in when that will happen. Some people that happens really young. But, you know, even in professional sport, this is the thing that happens when the player, you know, retires and becomes a coach. Okay, now they're into the realms of telling people what to do, not just doing what they're told anymore. And that's very often a real kind of surprise to them. They haven't done that before. But it happens whether you're an accountant or a lawyer or a teacher, you become a head teacher, okay, suddenly you're telling other people what to do, not doing what you're told. It, you know, it happens in every single career. And, and I think strategy is the name we call <laughs> deciding what should be done yeah. rather I, than doing what you're told. Yeah, I, I think of like, a, you know, if I'm a, a TikTok expert, I know how to maximize the value of TikTok. I don't always necessarily know why TikTok over say YouTube, right? What is the goal? Yeah, what is the goal we're trying to achieve? And I think that is like the microest kind of version of strategy versus tactics. Like TikTok, Absolutely. oh, you have to put this tag on it, and these kind of we know that these songs are really hot right now. Don't ask yes. me, I'm fifty about TikTok. This is sad. This is like <laughs> this is going to be the clip we play later. Say, watch, like there's going to be a montage of James being old and sad, and this is the clip we'll add to it. So at what point do we write the employer brand shanty? Because I understood that was going to be a central oh, point. Oh, you are up. You are on point, that as was the like kids four, would say. That was like four years ago, wasn't it? That was at the Which, start of COVID. That was who's cool. to say? Who's to say? But anyway, to say, look, I know how to get the most views of, of TikTok, but what is the goal we're trying to achieve is this the right exactly. means by which we do it, right? You know, there's a there's a, there's a point at which you say, yeah, TikTok makes sense because you've got a, a, a very deep audience. They're, they skew a little younger. They're actively, you want to insert a brand real quick. It's a great way of doing it. YouTube might be a longer tale. You can tell deeper stories. That content can be used differently. But ultimately, when you're making that choice, it's a strategic choice to say, what are we trying to achieve with this content? Completely. And, and like, you know, to, let's pick on that example then. So, what you could be trying to achieve completely different things with TikTok. If you're a brand that no one's heard of or that young people haven't heard of, so let's say you're a business-to-business -business brand, young people haven't heard of you, you might just be using TikTok to get them to know your name. And it might be as simple as that. It is a win if they see our stuff on TikTok and then they could repeat our brand name. And yeah, that so, be so when they go to a job board and they see 20,000 jobs, they go, oh, I heard that was a cool company oh, who did that, that funny TikTok. Bang. Exactly. Whereas if you're a really well-known brand, but you're kind of misunderstood. So let's say you're a, I don't know, um, a, a, a big brand that perhaps has a negative perception out there in the marketplace, right? Then you might be using TikTok to do something completely different. You might be using it to change a perception of you, in which case, you know, ooh, that's going to be a lot more difficult to measure because it now doesn't matter how many people have seen your TikTok. It's how many people actually change their minds as a, as a result of seeing your TikTok. But, so we're no longer interested with how many people just saw it. That's kind of relevant, but it's not really our objective. Our objective is, have we changed their minds at all? And you need to find a way of tracking that. And, you know, so is TikTok going to be a part of many successful strategies? Absolutely, because it's got loads of eyeballs on it. But it's going to be doing completely different jobs in those strategies, depending on where you're starting from, where you're trying to get people to. Uh, and, you know, what, therefore, what job you're expecting that channel to do. And if you're a big employer, you might be using it for multiple different objectives for different audiences. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You talked about the idea of changing perceptions, changing minds. 
is that the the core of every strategy or especially every talent strategy? Like, is there a talent strategy that doesn't involve how do I change people's perceptions of me, either growing it, decreasing it, shifting it, whatever? I think you could definitely say every employer brand strategy is fundamentally about perception change. So I think you could definitely say that. But I think you could have a talent strategy that didn't do that at all. I could run entirely blind adverts that didn't have our logo in it and just sold the jobs on their merits and attracted people that way. And that wouldn't be changing a perception. It would be kind of sneakily getting people's curiosity. Done that before for a couple of clients. It's surprisingly effective, even if they've got a positive brand. It's just a kind of interesting, different thing that people haven't seen before. But there, you're not really changing a perception because they don't know whose perception, who, who they are perceiving at that point. But really effective. I think you can certainly say if it's an employer brand strategy, you're trying to change what someone thinks or knows about you. Otherwise, what, what on earth are you putting into your thing? I, I suppose you could argue you're reminding them of something they about you group that, that they already like. Um, but I'd say, yeah, 99% of the time, you're right. That's going to be the thing. Um, yeah. okay. I know. What do you reckon? I, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think slightness and I, there's a, it's an interesting gray area between employer brand strategy and talent strategy. And I think that's a great segue yeah. to what we're going to talk about in our next podcast, which are different big buckets of strategy, talent strategy, brand strategy, employer brand strategy, all that stuff. So I think that's a great place to leave it for now. Um, I want to thank, you know, everybody for listening. I want to thank my co-host Marcus for being here, for being so darn smart and having such a great accent. Let's just, I mean, let's not leave that on the table. Amazing <laughs> accent that I wish I had. Um, so hopefully Marcus, uh, you know, this is, this is a lot of fun. I hope you're having a lot of fun with these t conversations because I want to have a bunch of these for everybody to hear, uh, because that's really what the podcast is going to be all about. Deeper t thinking about talent strategy. Completely. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's an opportunity for everyone to get thinking about. There are no beautiful right answers in this, but you know, what there are is things that you learn along the way and, and when you've been doing it for as long as James has been doing it or I've been doing it you've kind of discovered a couple of things almost by accident as you keep doing it and I think what we wanted to do was just kind of open up that conversation and get more people talking about it and you know joining in with this conversation about what, what is it a strategy what, how do you achieve it? What, what makes it different from what's that plan I inherited from my predecessor Right, right. And I think it's safe to say we will not be discussing ATSs. We will not be discussing tech stacks. We will not be getting to that level of pick this tool because that's not what this is about because it starts with the strategy. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Brand Plan. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word.